Let's take our Bibles this morning and let's turn to the book of Luke chapter 2 and also want you to turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 9 just for a moment. Luke chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, for the next several weeks, does everybody have an outline? Does anybody need one real quick? You don't have an outline? Where did you put those, Braden? On the where? Can you go grab them and, and uh, run around for me? There's just about three or four of them that don't have it. Uh, John, my mic sounds a little tinny. Can you take that out maybe a little bit? Luke chapter 2 and Isaiah chapter 9. If you need an outline, raise your hand real quick. You didn't get an outline. All right, there's several. Keep it up. Brayden will get to you. There you go, Brother Dave. Miss Dorina over here needs one. Good job. And there's a couple on that side over there. All three of the musketeers. There you go. All right. Everybody have one? All right. All right. The Bible in Isaiah chapter 9, and notice if you will in verse 6. What I spoke of earlier, for unto us a child is born. Now, you have to remember, whenever you study the Bible, you've got to ask questions if you're going to be a student. I suppose you could read it and not care who wrote it and who it was, to whom it was written and those things. But you're not going to get quite out of the word of God what the Lord intends unless you remember the context. And so Isaiah is writing to the nation of Israel. So it's important to remember that when he starts out the verse by saying, for unto us. That's a privilege. He's calling the prophecy of God's son, the Messiah, to Israel. And so he says, for unto us is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And can we say the last four words together, ready? The Prince of Peace. So we know now the prophecy that Isaiah is giving to Israel. Specifically, he's preaching to the nation of Judah. And so we know by prophecy before that, that God was going to give to the nation through the line of Judah, the king or the lion of Judah, the Messiah was going to come. So Isaiah now, who I like to think of as really like the apostle John, he's the gospel of Isaiah in the Old Testament, is saying, look, God promised way back in Genesis chapter 3 that something was going to happen. He's been talking about the branch, the root of Jesse, all these things. And I want you to know to whom it's coming. It's coming to us. It's going to be to us. A son is given. And he's going to meet every need. Hence all of the titles. Now go, if you will, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. In the context, you know it. This is the Christmas story. I think one of the challenges for every pastor around Christmas and Easter is preaching the same thing every year. And, uh, and so we'll look at these passages many different times. Lord willing, many different ways. But... The context, of course, is the shepherds out in the field. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. The Bible says, and there were in the same country, is, uh, I'm sorry, shepherds abiding in the field. They were sleeping. They were watching their flock by night. The Bible says in verse 9, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Now, I'm just going to say this as a by the way. They were familiar with the glory of the Lord. Maybe not at this time. Because they had not had the glory of the Lord. Remember the Shekinah glory cloud that set down? Remember the pillar of fire? So Israel has always had that connection with God. And now all of a sudden, after not having it in the middle of nowhere, shepherds abiding in their field, they're astonished at the glory of God up in the heavens. Now notice what it says uh, in verse 10. They were sore afraid. The Bible says that the word sore is mega. They were mega afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you 
is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, Let us go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Let me ask you a question. Do you think they knew about that prophecy? Which has come to pass. That tells me that they did know. That tells me that people that society would have cast aside were very familiar with what God had said was to come to pass. Now, that says, which has come to pass. Verse 16, and they came with haste, you would have too, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen it, they had made, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Since the calling out to Abraham, God has had a very close and very special relationship with Israel. For centuries, the Jewish people were the chosen people of God, known around the world for their belief in the unseen God of heaven and earth. Clearly in scripture, you could look and say that God had favored them, even in their rebellion, even when they turned away from God, you could see God's favor on their life. According to scripture, no other nation had God so close. According to the Bible, no other nation had his word and no other nation had his presence and his ear like Israel. Unfortunately, like many people today, they turned their back on God. The Bible says that they made idols in their own hearts and they endeavored then to live a life in a complete different direction. And for that, God didn't leave, but he just stopped talking. God didn't leave. God's favor didn't leave. He just stopped communicating. You know how long he did that? For almost 400 years. For 400 years, he was silent. From the book of Malachi to the advent of Jesus Christ, God kept silence. Now think about that. If you're used to hearing it, even if it's rebuke, if you're used to hearing from God, if you're used to hearing his love and his favor, his commands, his statutes, and then he stops begging. And nothing. For 400 years. Do you think maybe they kind of wondered? Maybe there were some people that was like. God you've been speaking to us for millennia. And I've been listening but. I'm not hearing. For almost 400 years. And then. In Luke chapter 2. He broke the silence. (laughs) Let's say it this way. He didn't break the silence. He shattered the silence. He opened up the glory of heaven to some outcasts on the hillside outside of Bethlehem in the sheepfolds to people who, for all intents and purposes, had no business with polite society. And to them, he opened up heaven and an angelic voice and presence came out 
and gave the announcement. And then, to, to, uh, uh, according to the Bible, as a resounding amen, the hosts of God, the angels, broke the silence for God. And they made the statement, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. No wonder they were freaked out. No wonder they were so afraid. They hadn't heard. They were just wondering. And now, bam, God was doing something amazing. Now, it's interesting, the announcement that the Lord makes, he, that, that God makes here through the messenger, the angel. He uses really three key words or three key titles, if you will. It says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, and then which is Christ, and then which is Lord. Savior, Christ, and Lord. Now, remember, it was just prophesied unto us is born a child, unto us a son is given. So they, they know then after that that he's going to be wonderful, that he's going to be the mighty God, the everlasting father, the, one, the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace. They know those titles. But now God is giving them the title of Savior, Christ, and Lord. He's narrowing down who it is. The word Savior, the name Savior means a deliverer. It means one who saves from danger, a preserver. The name Lord there in the Greek means a possessor. It means an owner, a master. It means one with absolute authority is the name Lord. Hence the term the Lord Jesus Christ, the word uh, Lord is is possessor. The word Christ is what they were really familiar with. That was the anointed one. That's how they knew about the Messiah. The Messiah was to be the anointed of God. He would be God manifest in the flesh. They were very familiar with that. And so he tells them. And then we know from Matthew chapter 2 that Mary and Joseph was told by God, I believe by the same angel, that his name was to be Jesus. And we all know what that main, name means. It means Savior. It's the Hebrew word Yeshua. It means salvation is of God. Now you take all of those. Jesus, Christ, Savior, and Lord. Or if you rearrange them, Lord, Jesus, Christ, Savior. Or Savior, the Lord, Jesus, Christ. What an announcement. What an amazing thing that God would break 400 years of saying nothing and saying, now I'm going to do something amazingly different and i want you to be the first to know what a way to break the silence what a way to announce to the world that god was about to do something that he had never previously done and as i thought about that and i thought you know lord i just want to i want to say those names over and over and over again i want to talk about savior and lord and christ and what those must have meant to the Jewish people in that day, especially those that really didn't have many friends except for the sheep and the company that they kept. I, I want to I think about that. And the longer I thought about it, I thought, okay, the first thing that he says is, unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Now, if I was a shepherd, if I was a Jew, and I thought about the, 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 the label or the title Savior, I, I, I started to think backwards and say, okay, well, let's just think about this this minute. And, and, and that's really the message that I want to talk about this morning. Uh, from the message, I, I'd like us to consider several truths that I think that could help us to make our Christmas more meaningful and our celebration really more favorable to God. And I want you to think about this with me this morning. Let's just consider a few things in our outlines this morning. Number one, if you have it and you want to follow along, I want you to understand and, and, and think about this. A savior that was announced needs a victim. A savior needs a victim. 
You don't send a savior unless you need one. The Bible says in verse 10, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 11, I'm sorry, in verse 10. And the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you, watch, good tidings of great joy. Notice the last phrase, which shall be to the Jews only. Which shall be to the shepherd? No, it, it tells you who the victim is to all people. Now, by definition, a victim is someone who's been tricked um, by definition. Webster says it's someone who's oppressed. It's someone who's lost. It's someone who's harmed or killed by another. Um, so who's the victim and who's the oppressor? Well, the angels tell us that it's all people, but the Bible tells us who the oppressor is also. In fact, Jesus said it in John chapter eight and verse 44. He addressed some people who were really not very kind dressed some people who thought they knew it all. He dressed some people who pretended to be religious and he looked at them square in the face and he said, ye are of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh, he, uh, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Now let me ask you a question. Is a lie a trick? Yes. And he was a murderer. I think that qualifies as someone who harms and kills. He's the oppressor. Jesus labeled the oppressor. Yeah, it was eight chapters later in the book of John. But the fact of the matter is God already knew who the people were that were a victim. He already knew who the oppressor was. And so a savior needs a victim. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3 about more of this alleged trickster, the devil. But I fear lest by any means... As the serpent, listen, beguiled Eve through his subtlety, uh, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The word beguile is tricked. It's lied to. In fact, in Ephesians, the Bible talks about the wiles of the devil. That word literally is the tricks of the trade. So everybody, according to the Bible, is the victim. All people, all tongues, everywhere. First John 3 and verse 8 tells us more about the devil. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. Now listen, for this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, wait a minute. What's the works of the devil? Why does the Bible address way down farther, almost the end of the New Testament, that there are works of the devil and that Jesus was manifest for that because he sent a savior and the ultimate end is not in the beginning of the manger, but God knowing the beginning and the end as the alpha and omega says, listen, I want you to know. I told you I was sending a savior. I've now sent the savior. And this is why, because all people need one. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew. It doesn't matter whether you're a shepherd. It doesn't matter whether you're a Pharisee. It doesn't matter whether you're the high priest. All people need a savior because all people have been tricked. All people have been lied to. All of us unbeknownst, can you imagine? Now, 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 I'm getting ahead of myself. Hebrews 2 and verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus, also himself, likewise took part of the same. That through death he might destroy him, that is Satan, that had the power of death, that is the devil. So God gets very specific. All right. All people have been lied to. All people are oppressed. All people eventually are going to be harmed and killed. Why? Because that's what the devil does. He's a murderer from the beginning. The lie is to trick you into believing, get it, 
that you don't need a savior. And so when you back out the story and you look and say, okay, why did he start with that? Because that's what we needed. All people need to be saved. A savior needs a victim. Secondly, a victim must be in danger. A victim must be in danger. Now, I've kind of already talked about that. What is something that all people everywhere are in danger of? The danger is not from sin. The danger in what lies at the end of sin. Because when lust it conceives, it brings forth sin. But sin doesn't bring forth death until it's finished. That's what he's saving us from. You see, we've all sinned. Well, just Americans? No. Just white people? No. Just Hispanic people? No. Just black people? No. Just the Indian people? No. Just Chinese people? No. Just the Germans? No. Just the Russians? No. Just the Democrats? Mm. No. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and come short of the glory. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the devil lies to us and say, that's okay. Just enjoy your life that you like to live. Sound familiar? The tricks of the trade say, yea, hath God said? Are you sure, Eve, that God really knows what's going on? I mean, look, he made the tree. And you can obviously see it's good for food. You can obviously see it's good to make one wise. Why don't you just go take one? He won't mind. In fact, he knows, and he's not telling you this. If you go and take that, you're going to be better for it. And we've been believing that same lie for 6,000 years. He's a liar. Why? Because he's a murderer. And he doesn't want anybody to know what lies at the end of sin, which is death. A victim is only a victim when they're in danger. For all of sin and comes short of the glory of God. And our sin comes with a price, which is death, which is eternal death from God. For the wages of sin is death. Now, the last part we love, but the gift of God is eternal life. That tells you what kind of death it is. It's either eternal death, separation from God, or eternal life, through and in only Jesus Christ. One is what I get for believing the lie. One is what I get from breaking God's law. One is what I get for doing the things that I want to do. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And yet the gift that God gives is in his son, Jesus Christ. Why do we give? Why, when we get saved, do we want to give to other people? Because that's what God did to us. The Bible calls it an unspeakable unspeakable gift. You can't even put enough adjectives in front of the Lord Jesus Christ to actually give the right portrayal of the amazement of the gift of God that he gave in Christ. Romans 5, 12, wherefore as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Revelation 21, 8 gives us the end. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters. Wait a minute. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That sounds like jeopardy to me. That sounds like a danger. That's a danger. Listen, that all people are not aware of. But God is. And he has always been aware of it. And that's why he sent a savior. Because all people 
are the victim. You're a victim. I'm a victim. And every victim, every person on this planet is in jeopardy of being separated from the God that created them. And God says, that's what I promised. I'm now delivering. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. When the Bible says that God knows the needs of all, he really does. He knows what we need even when we don't even know. I promise you the shepherds and many others that day thought their needs were a lot different. I promise you. They thought their needs were a lot different. They thought they needed their country back. That's what they were thinking. Front of you was born in the state of the city of David. Just, just read the Bible in the New Testament. The disciples were full of that. When are you going to set up your kingdom? When are you going to set up your kingdom? When are you going to set up your kingdom? Can I be a part of it? Can I be a part of the head? They thought they needed a, a different government. They thought they needed to be the ruling people again. They thought they needed money. So why do you say that? Have you ever seen a Bedouin? They're poor. They're some of the poorest of the poor. They're shepherds. You know where they live? With the flock. That's what shepherds do. I remember in Saudi Arabia, I came across the Bedouin who was a Bedouin for camels. Man, that dude smelled. Smelled. He, he didn't go into polite society. He stayed on the outskirts. Why? Probably because he smelled. Probably because a lot of people don't like to deal with shepherds. Oh, yeah, they, I guarantee you, they thought their needs were a whole lot different. They thought they needed money as shepherds. They thought they needed more freedom as Jews. They thought they needed a physical delivering from physical problems. They had no idea that what they needed was a savior to deliver them from their sin. They misinterpreted the danger altogether. But God did it. God didn't. God didn't forget Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve walked away and sent this race of human beings into harm's way. He never thought about that. I mean, he never forgot about that. He always kept it in mind. Do you realize the Bible says in due time, Jesus came? In due time. The perfect timing of God. And he brought what they really needed, not what they thought they needed. A savior needs a victim. Because a, vis- a victim, in order to be a victim by danger, uh, by definition, must be in danger. So God sent a savior to deliver all people. A very public proclamation was given to the shepherds. But I want you to see, thirdly, that salvation requires something personal. Now it says, look, the fact of the matter, it says, which shall be to all people. That's to everybody. But a blanket announcement from the angels is not how someone individually is going to be saved. In fact, the Bible says after the announcement in verse 14, look at verse 15. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. That's what they did personally. Now, it could have gone like this. 
Well, that's, that's amazing. Bob, did you see that? Yeah. Steve, did you see that? Hey, Bill, did you see that out there? Yeah, I saw that. Cool. All right, let's go back to sleep. That was really cool. Then get up the next morning and say, was that real or were we dreaming? Did we have some pizza late last night or something? Maybe some lamb chops. <laughs> Maybe some euros with tzatziki and put all the everything. No. What did they do? They went to see about the announcement. Now, I've been told by many people in the last 20 years after witnessing to them and getting them to the point of having to make a decision. You know, to pray and the decision to trust Jesus Christ as Savior is a personal matter and I'm going to leave it at that. And then they don't want to talk to me anymore. They ask me to leave, they shut the door, whatever. And I would say, I always say the same thing to them every time they say that. I said, you know, that's really true. And I don't have to be here in order for you to make that personal decision. But thank you. It's true. It's a personal thing. In fact, every individual has to come on their own to Jesus Christ. They have to. I don't get the privilege of being saved and then saying, well, because I'm saved, all of my kids are now saved. That doesn't happen that way. Or, as some have allegedly said to me, well, isn't there like some age of enlightenment that they come to and then, then that's when they're saved? No. Every person is different. And every individual at a set time, according to them and their understanding, has to come to Jesus on their own. By the way, I'm so glad the shepherds did. I'm so glad that the disciples did. I'm so glad that the apostle Paul did. I'm so glad that there were people in Lystra and Derby and in and, and Cyprus. I'm so glad there were people in Corinth and Ephesus and Thessalonica that came to Christ personally. I'm so glad that on the pilgrim ship that came over to this country, there were people who came to Jesus Christ on their own. And I'm so glad that 28 years ago I did. I'm so thankful that I was given an opportunity to learn about my danger. And that it was me that Jesus came for. That it was me that God spoke of when he made the announcement that it was about me and it was about you. And in order for me to have a personal savior, salvation requires something personal. Two things. Number one is understanding. Understanding. Now turn on your Bible briefly to John chapter one. And I want you to understand that we are not born thinking that we need a savior. You were not born thinking that you needed a savior. I was not born going, oh, you know what? I I just came to this enlightenment on my own. I need Jesus. I need a savior. In fact, the Bible says in John 1, in the beginning was the word. That's Jesus Christ, the living word of God. And the word was with God. And I want you to notice this. And the word was God. It does not say that he was a God. The Jehovah Witness Bible says that he was a God. Let me just make the statement this morning. He is the everlasting father. Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. Now watch. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Watch. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness. And the darkness. What does it say? Comprehended it not. They didn't understand. And there were a lot of people that didn't understand. The Bible says in Romans 3 and verse 10, as it's written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Listen, there is none that understandeth. 
There is none that seeketh after God. In fact, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, John goes on to say, listen, if you say that you have no sin, you've made God a liar. If you're going to deny the fact that you need a savior, the Bible says we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us because we've made God a liar. If we confess our sins, what is that word? It means to tell the truth about. Now, how do I know I'm a sinner? How do I know that I need a savior? I have to be told. The shepherds were told. You're part of all people. You need a savior. And he's been born. And what did they do? Oh, well, I'll just wait till he comes to me. I'll just wait until, you know, Mary and Joseph, uh, like they knew who that was. I'll just wait till, you know, someone else finds them. And then I'll wait for them to tell me when it's a convenient season, Paul, I'll, I'll talk to you about this. No, they chose. They immediately came to the understanding. Wait a minute. I, 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 I need a savior. I need a savior. I need Wait a minute, he's the Lord, he's the possessor of all, he has absolute authority, and he just got born today? He is the Christ, the anointed one? You mean the one that's to save us? Yes. You need understanding. In first, in John 1, many people in Israel didn't receive Jesus Christ for who he is. They didn't understand the light because, listen, they were using a different definition. The Bible says that he came... That, that, that light shineth in darkness, by the way, which is another reference to a, a prophecy given. That light would shine in Zion. That light would be given a light into the Gentiles. But they comprehended it not. Why? Because they were using a different definition. And by the way, that goes with the gospel harmony. The fact that people followed Jesus and they were continually talking about something other than what Jesus was talking about. That's where the Bible comes in. You see, from birth, we're all liars. And we're drawn to that line when the truth comes to our hearts and finds its way to our heart. And then we have a choice to make. We get understanding. Wait a minute. I didn't know. In fact, Paul said, I didn't even know that I was in jeopardy except the law say thou shalt not covet. I, I, I didn't know I had a problem until the law came. Now, these people have to understand. Wait a minute. I thought we could. I thought if we just kept the Ten Commandments and then you have to come to the question like, really, have you kept all the Ten Commandments? Always, all the time, because that's the demand of the law. That's the weight of the law. You have to keep this all the time or you're not going to heaven. That's why no man's justified by the law. So where does that leave me? In danger. So I can't do it on my own. You see, that's the understanding. That's the miracle of the power of the word of God. I am a sinner. And I've broken God's law. And I need to be saved. I can't actually save myself by being good enough. I can't actually save myself by telling more truth and less lies. I can't actually save myself by actually paying my taxes and actually paying my bills and actually obeying the law. I, I, I need a savior. It's the understanding that not only do I need a savior, but that Jesus is the only one available. First Timothy chapter two and verse three, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior, who will have all men to be saved and listen and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified of in due time. What's required 
for salvation to become personal understanding. What's the second thing? Repentance. Repentance. It's spoken of a lot. In fact, some people have a hard time with repentance, but they shouldn't. And, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And at the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, all people, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. What's repentance? It's turning to God. And in order to turn to God, I've got to turn from something. If I'm turning left, uh, turning right, I'm not turning left. I'm going in the opposite direction. If I turn north, I'm not turning south. I'm going in the opposite direction. That means I'm turning to God. Now, the Bible describes this in several ways, but think about this. Most Jews today even believe they're so chosen they don't have to choose. I'm a Jew. I'm automatically going to heaven. Why? Because I'm Jewish. Oh, so you, you don't need a savior. Well, not the Christian one. Why? Because I'm Jews. Oh, you know, they're not the only ones that think that way. There's a lot of other people that think that way. I'm going to heaven because I do this. I go to this church. I've heard that. I believe this in my head. Turning to God, you have to turn from some things. You got to turn from the idols of your own heart. That is everything that was supposed to save you. I've got to turn from that. Well, but this is what I've taught. Yeah, but what does the Bible say? I, I know this is the traditions that you've been in. And I know this is the branch that you've been going on. But, but what's the root? I've got to turn from anything that I was trusting in before I knew the truth. Anything other than Jesus Christ is not going to get me to heaven. I've spoken to plenty of people about this important step because it's the way to salvation. Turning from, that is to never go back, and turning to Jesus Christ. The Bible says it very specifically in 1 Thessalonians 2, how you turn to God from idols because of what you've come to know, and that is the word of God. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever made that turn? Well, Pastor, I said this prayer. I'm glad that you did, and you should pray, and you should be to the point where you want to, but have you ever repented? Have you ever made the decision to say, you know, God, I'm a sinner, and everything that, everything that I have believed and said to this point is not true. And I still need a savior. Pastor, I've been a member of this church. I know. And I've led members of this church to Christ and baptized them. Because they really thought they were saved. And messages like this are needful. Jude said, I wanted to write you something, but instead I'm going to write you about the doctrine once delivered unto the saints. Why? Because you only have one life. And in that life, Without Christ, you are in jeopardy. You are in danger of what? Death and hell. And as God loves you so much, 2,000 years ago, he didn't invent salvation. He advented salvation. He sent his own son, a picture of himself, of the glory of God, right into this earth. And he was born in a filthy stable. Why? So that he could live and die to save you and I from sin. And from death. That is a personal matter that all people have to come to realize like these shepherds. I don't know about you, but I'm not sitting here. I'm going there. I'm going to go see 
what has come to pass by God's promise. I believe they were saved. The Savior needs a victim. A victim must be in danger, but salvation requires something personal. And then lastly, I want you to think about this. When we back out this story, deliverance results in a changed life. You know, these shepherds were never the same. And, 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 and I don't know why. Only God could reveal to us when we get to heaven. I don't know why the rest of the story, like Paul Harvey used to say. I don't know why we don't have the rest of the story of a lot of people in the Bible. But wouldn't it have been cool to have the rest of the story of the shepherds? Wouldn't it be cool to have maybe what happened when they told their wives or their children and, and like, did they, were they like career shepherds? Did they, did they say, you know what? I, uh, I feel like I need to go somewhere else and I need to do something else. I don't know. Wouldn't it be cool though? There, there's going to be so many stories like that when we get to heaven of, of God touching a life. And, and I, I really believe that he doesn't give too many rest of the stories because we would turn the story more about them instead of about God. But he does give us a glimpse of what happened to them when they went. The Bible says, and I love it. Remember how the Bible says when, you know the story of David and Goliath, right? One of the goriest, most rated R parts of the Bible, right? Cut, blood, going everywhere, and ha, 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 all that stuff, right? The Bible says when David came off the hill that he made haste. He was running to danger by faith. The Bible says that the shepherds made haste running from danger. They were going to Jesus. Notice what it says. Where am I at? I'm in John. Look what it says. And it came to pass, verse 15, as the angels were gone away from the, from into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us not, uh, let us now go even into Bethlehem and see this thing. The Bible says, verse 16, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. They found the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 17, and when they had seen it, what happened? They made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Now what was told them? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I have no need of trying to translate what they said. I believe with all of my heart that they went and they said, you're never going to believe this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. We were out here last night and we saw the glory of God in heaven and some angel appeared and we got freaked out and he told us this statement, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And we looked at each other and said, man alive, let's go find out what God's done. And we ran and we saw it just like he said it to us. And the Bible says, notice what it says in verse 18, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They didn't tell somebody and then they spread the rumor. The shepherds told them personally. Why? Because something happened. God revealed himself. God showed himself. God announced the truth that they needed a savior and they found him. I love the Christmas story of Joseph, like everybody else, of Mary and angels, of course, the Lord Jesus. But I have grown to love all the people who were affected by the story. And the shepherds were the very first. It wasn't the wise men after, Mo, after Moses, after Joseph and Mary were told what was to happen. The only people outside of Mary's immediate, uh, 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 secondary family, which was Elizabeth, the only People 
that is mentioned straightway when he's born is the shepherds. The shepherds came. They came. They saw. They left with amazement. They left with joy and words, words that stirred the hearts of others. But what if they never said anything? Oh, but they did. Oh, but, but they were, they were outcasts of society. I know. But that didn't stop them. They spoke up. What did they speak? What they heard. So the Bible says. The whole purpose of Jesus coming to this earth was to save us from the danger of sin and by that change our life so that what happened in us could happen to somebody else. Let's just think about the words the angels promised and God delivered. What's the changed life? Three things were done. First of all, it's good news. The word glad tidings there by the angels is the same word that is translated the gospel in the New Testament. It's the same word. Glad tidings. Did you know that we live in a world of bad news? And it's awful. Don't, don't turn on a news channel. Don't pick up a newspaper. Do they, I think they, I think I saw one on somebody's lawn. Don't, don't, don't listen to the news and you won't have any bad news. That's all you got to do. We live in a world of bad news. We live in a world that not only is filled with bad news, we like to talk about it way too much. It's a, it's, it's, that's what we talk about. And rightly, we talk about it because that's all there is. But is that all there is? Is the world filled only with bad news? No, in fact, if you're saved, you're full of good news. You are filled with good news. I'm bringing, the Bible says, good tidings of great joy. We live in a world of bad news, but when you're a Christian, you always have good news. And that news is not meant for you. It's meant for others. Romans 10 and verse 15 says, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, listen, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. Same word. Of peace. Oh, look, that's in there too. And bring glad tidings of good things. The good things word there in, in Romans chapter 10 is benevolent or profitable things. Um, Christmas is about change. Really is. And good change comes from good news. You're not going to change anything by spreading bad news. Because bad news is not profitable. But good news is always profitable. Someone say amen right there. It's always profitable. Let, let's say it a different way. The gospel is always profitable. Because the gospel is for all people. That's the best news ever. And when you're saved, you have that. The best news those shepherds heard was about a savior to all people, to them and all people. So they shared it. Good news. You know what else you should have when you get saved? Letter B, great joy. The Bible says, um, fear not for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. This isn't the little joy. This is the word mega again. This is the, the greatest of joy. The great joy spoken by the angels that night was not because of family in town, not because of friends in an ugly Christmas sweater or smiles on the face of satisfied children at Christmas. This great joy is because of Jesus, the savior himself, the news that you can be saved from sin and delivered from the works of Satan. Listen, is the source of true joy that was announced by God's messenger 
in heaven to shepherds. Listen, I'm bringing you good tidings. I'm bringing you the gospel. I'm bringing, bringing you news that is of great joy. Let me ask you a question. Is it still the greatest joy that you have? Is it still the greatest joy? Is that the joy of Christmas? Is that the joy of Jesus being born? Because I'm sorry, in the context of Luke 2, it is the source of greatest joy. Why did they leave there so joyful? Why did they leave there so amazed? Because they had something to talk about. Listen, had the Dodgers won the World Series, I'd still be talking about it. But they didn't even make the World Series. In fact, the World Series is such not true good news and a source of joy, nobody's even talking about it anymore. In fact, in six months, most people, except for Braves fans, won't even remember who won the World Series. Nobody will care. The problem is, sometimes we forget about what Jesus came to do for us, and we don't care either. And we stop talking about it. And we try to find our joy in other things rather than in Christ. You want to celebrate Christmas? Celebrate the joy that you've been saved. That you no longer are in in jeopardy of death. That by your personal decision, Christ has freed you from the oppressor. And the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Lastly, he talks about peace. I call it gracious peace. Here's the cool part about being a Christian. You see, and this is illustrated right here in the story, but throughout the New Testament. As the Prince of Peace, Jesus is born into a land of tribulation. And to have peace, he didn't have to remove the Roman government. To have peace, he didn't have to change their circumstances. He just had to come and die and rise again. And he did do that. He uttered the words, it's finished. In John 17, it's encapsulated. Father, I've glorified you on this earth. Now be glorified in what I'm, what I'm about to do. And he did it. Why? To prove the point that you don't have to change your physical circumstances in order to have gracious peace. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Oh, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Isn't it interesting that the Bible describes those shepherds that day when they were given good news as afraid? And yet, he says, listen, I'm bringing you great joy and I'm bringing you peace. Isn't it interesting that even the world at Christmas knows that Christmas is about peace and joy? Even they will sing the songs, Joy to the World. You go out in the public and you're hearing songs that, wait a minute, these words are about Jesus. And they count them. These are Christmas songs. These are traditional Christmas songs. The problem is not with the world recognizing that there's joy needed and that there's peace needed. It's Christians. And I'm afraid because our faith has been misplaced that we don't have it. We don't have either the joy that God said we're supposed to have, great joy, And we're not experiencing the peace that he came to give. My encouragement to you is that that's what the angels promised. That's what God delivered. By faith, you can have both. When God broke the silence, he didn't break it just for Israel. He broke it for all of us. His birth was a miracle. His life was full of miracles. His resurrection from the dead 
was all a miracle. You'll remember this on January 15, 2009, U.S. Airways Flight 1549 and Airbus 320 on flight from New York City to LaGuardia Airport to Charlotte, North Carolina, struck a flock of birds shortly after takeoff, losing all engine and power. Unable to reach any airport for an emergency landing due to their low altitude, pilots Chelsea Sullenberger and Jeffrey Skiles glided the plane into ditching in the Hudson River of Midtown Manhattan. How many of you remember that? All 155 people on board were rescued by nearby boats with only a few serious injuries. A miracle. A miracle. It's celebrated. Sully is celebrated because of what he did. The bravery, everything. Nobody was seriously hurt. Several years after seeing and hearing about the plane that was landed on the Hudson River, I was amazed at the outcome after interviewing some of the people and saw some of the footage I, can you imagine being on that plane? Ladies and gentlemen, prepare for, brace for impact. Uh, we just took off. What? Can you imagine the fear? Talk about being in jeopardy, in danger. All you're thinking about is getting to North Carolina to see your family or coming home from a trip or going to a trip. That's all you can think about. Many of you have traveled on business or whatever, even leisure. It doesn't matter. Being on that plane after takeoff and then being told to brace for impact and seeing outside the windows the buildings of New York City? Can you imagine being on that plane? First the jeopardy, and then you hit the water, never being in that situation before, not knowing what it's going to be like. When you're in a car accident, it happens so fast, you don't even know what's going on. And then all of a sudden, you're okay? You would be like, is this a dream? fear to, oh, oh, and then, oh my goodness, we're in the water. Now fear's back. Now I got to get out of this plane. Everybody's stepping on each other, kicking people, all this stuff. You know what they say, stay calm, find an exit. I'd be like, look, get out of my way. I got to get to the exit. Get my children outside first. Then y'all can come. I'm sorry, miss, you can come. (laughs) I mean, just think about the chaos that goes through your mind. A living miracle. And then after you're safely on board, so boat, Coast Guard, cutter, whatever, the relief. Then you make the phone call and your family's all relieved. Then you're sitting down at a news interview and you say, man, I, I can't even put into words. People crying, I can't even put into words what happened. And many of them, why it's called a miracle on the Hudson is because they would say, it's a miracle. They would say something like, I shouldn't even be alive today. Miracle. Those who were saved from death, all of their lives are different now. Christmas is for you and I to celebrate what God has given to us. A chance for peace in a world of tribulation, that's a miracle. A chance for joy and good news when there's nothing but bad, that's a miracle. Shouldn't anything called a miracle change your life for the better? If, if I'm saved, that's a miracle. The fact that I'm saved is a miracle. Shouldn't a miracle be enough to change us? Shouldn't a miracle be enough to tell someone else how they could have the same peace and joy? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us and, Lord, for your graciousness, for your mercy. God, I can't wait to meet these fellows who are shepherds. 
I can't wait to, to, Lord, I can't wait to experience the glory of God in heaven. I can't wait to experience what they saw. Lord, they saw your physical body as a babe. One day I'm going to see your face full of glory and majesty as the Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior. I can't wait for that day. And Lord, the world can't wait another day without good news. Lord, you provided for us something that we could not do for ourselves. And we've been saved from imminent danger. We're on our way to heaven as children of God. Lord, we do not will to sit here outside the city. I pray that we would go and bring forth those glad tidings of great joy. Father, I pray that you've spoken to us today and that you would do your work. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder this morning if you'll just take a few moments and just reflect on some of the things that we've talked about. The greatest of which I hope is asking yourself the tough question. Is the joy that you have great joy? And what's the source of it? Well, if I just had these six things fall off my plate, I would be more happy. Okay. Is that why Jesus came? To make your life easier? What's the source of your peace? Do you have that everlasting tranquility of the grace of God on your life? Because Jesus didn't come to deliver us from the world. In fact, in John 17, he left us in it knowing that it was going to hate us. And yet, what did he promise? Peace. Today, before you leave, would you make Jesus Christ your joy and your peace? Would you make him your personal choice today? And continue to go back and continue to go back and draw draw on that peace and joy. Would you do that? How many would say, Pastor, no, no, no one looking around, head bowed and eyes, heads bowed and eyes closed. Pastor, God spoke to me today specifically about something that was brought to my attention. Would you please pray for me? Anybody like that? Just slip up your hand real quick. God spoke to me personally today. I see your hands. How many would say, Pastor, I need, I need the joy of the Lord in my life. I really, really do. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? Anybody? I need the joy of the Lord. Anybody? How many would say, Pastor, I need the peace of God so bad. And I realize today that it's not about the absence of problems. It's the presence of Christ. I need, I want that peace. Maybe that's the better request. How many would say, Pastor, pray for me. I want that peace that Jesus came to bring. How many would say that? Pray for me. Anybody like that? All right. Father, you see these hands. You know who they are. You know exactly what they need. And we know that from the story that we just read. And we know it from your word all over. Your timing is perfect. Your providence is perfect. Your grace is perfect. Lord, for those in need of peace today, I pray that you'd grant that to them in the person of Christ. Simplify our lives by trusting in you more. I pray for those, Lord, who need to make Christmas about the joy of the Lord and not the joy of something else, that you would minister to their life as well. Lord, may peace and joy and the love of God 
Lord, be those building blocks in our Christian lives. May this church be known as the place where people have come personally and had God change their life. Please bless the word of God richly in our hearts now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.